Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to take a turn in Sidur class. I believe there is now a record through the podcasts recorded of pretty much start to finish our one one go through of the Sidur. We might have started a couple of weeks late recording in Birchot HaShachar. So anyone who wants to go back and look at, you know, what do we say about Ashrei or Yishabach or whatever, all of that is on the podcast. So I thought that instead of going back to the beginning, we're going to take a turn and do something different. And I'm trying to organize a series of sessions on um, Jewish thoughts about God, the fancy word being theology let's call it thinking about God. And some of that is going to pertain to the Sidur directly. Some of it will pertain to the Sidur indirectly. Um, the indirect part, I'm going to, you know, since you are all regular prayers, governors, some of what we talk about is, you know, sort of for you to sort out how that applies to your own individual davening. Uh, some of it we will talk about explicitly. I think we'll spend a while, not sure how long a while will be, probably at least a couple of months, um, talking about Jewish ideas about God, not necessarily as they pertain directly to the Sidur. And then eventually we'll get to Sidur concepts like uh, love, reward and punishment, revelation, uh, chosenness, you know, all these ideas that chapter headings that people have when they look at a Jewish theology book or book about ideas of the Sidor. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. And, um, and starting to talk about, and if you have any suggestions or things you think I ought to include, feel free to email me. This includes people out in podcast land. I'm Abraham Havivi at gmail.com. A B R A H A M H A. V I V I V is in Victor both times at gmail.com, Abraham Havivi at gmail.com. Feel free to send me um, an email if there's something that you want to make sure we include. Um, so we're going to start out for some weeks talking about Jewish ideas about God or theology. And because I have a historical bias, I can't help it. That's just the way I think. I always like to understand what came first and what came second. We'll start with what came first, which is the Bible, the Tanakh, right? So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about ideas about God as we find them in the Tanakh. And um, for this, I am indebted in my thinking to two books, One in, first one in particular, uh, by a uh, Bible scholar from JTS named Benjamin Summer, S-O-M-M-E-R, called The Bodies of God, not the body of God, but the bodies of God, plural. You can get it on your Kindle or whatever. It's a moderately dense book. Uh, and then a easier, breezier read, because he's an easier, breezier writer, James Kugel's The God of Old, Kugel, K-U-G-E-L, Kugel, Kugel. Uh, and I'll try to repeat those names at the end and maybe next week also. So um, we're going to start out talking about how God is imagined and described in the Bible. And over the next 
three sessions. I hope today is a complete session. Uh, I'm going to try to race through some material that if we had an hour class, we would go through more slowly. But a lot of the material is familiar to you. Um, in today's session, we're going to talk about one idea of God in the Bible. And we're going to talk about the idea of does God have a physical aspect? So for those of you who said, no, 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 I want to talk about abstract God and how it applies to uh, my prayers every day, you will be bitterly disappointed today. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Does God have a physical aspect? And um, I will argue, as Ben Summer does, that in some passages in the Torah, God does indeed have a physical aspect or physical, let's call it manifestation. And this is what is called a malach, usually trans, originally, which means a messenger, malach Hashem, a messenger of God. We end up then in English colloquializing that to an angel of God. And so we have some idea of, I don't know, a man who might or might not have wings or hidden wings under his cloak or something like that, who appears and disappears. So we're going to look at some passages today that are probably very familiar to you. And what we're going to try to say is I want us all to try to take a step back and disabuse ourselves of the idea that God cannot have a physical appearance. So, of course, the Torah would never have said that. And disabuse ourselves of the idea that a malach is an angel, which means like some sort of intermediary magical, supernatural winged creature that appears and disappears and is sent by God to do something. So those are somewhat later ideas that we usually superimpose on the text, so much so that we don't even notice that we superimpose them on the text. And so I'm going to try to get you, I'm trying to get us just for purposes of understanding these passages to un-superimpose whatever unsuperimposed means. There's the handout. Do you see a handout there? Someone nod their head. Someone say yes. 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 Okay. And it's going <clears> to <throat> be, it's going to be, um, let me try to get the size just right. It's going to be with the podcast. So with some of the podcasts, occasionally there's an actual handout. So you can, if you have any interest, you can, Read it. At, you'll be able to read it at home if you go to the Temple Beth on podcasts. It should be up later today. Thank you, Bert, um, our tech support, Bert Kleinman, for always getting the podcast up. So he'll get this up today attached to the podcast. Um, I will only say for people out there in podcast land, this handout has God's name in it, the holy name of God, Yud, Hey, Av, Hey. So if you choose to print it out, please do not dispose of it in the garbage. Uh, you can adopt, if you want, Rabbi Elliot Dorf's rabbinic response or tshuva, the things that have God's name don't have to go into uh, Xerox things that have God's name, don't have to go into a Geniza. They can go into recycling. That's Rabbi Dorf's um, tshuva, that recycling is not the same thing as garbage. Or if you don't accept that tshuva, then don't print it out. Okay. So God's presence in the Bible, number one. Next week, we'll talk about number two, the Malach. Are there any questions about anything I've said so far? If so, please unmute. Okay. 
And questions does not mean I hope that you cover blah, blah, blah. You can send me an email on that. Okay. So um, first story is a story from Genesis 16, Brayshit, Chapter Tet Zion, the story of Hagar's pregnancy and her mistress, uh, Sarai, um, um, throwing her out to the desert where she almost dies, but she doesn't because she's rescued by a Malach. Okay. So I know you know the story. So you're not, we're not going to read through all of it. And I'm scrolling down until she's out in the desert. She ran away and I'm right. I'm sorry. For some reason, this version, uh, the English is from JPS, the Hebrew is from Safaria. For some reason, it, I don't know. I haven't mastered Safaria well enough to have verse numbers. I'll try to get someone to teach me how to do that. So I'm, I'm starting from, I don't even know what the first number is in Genesis 16, but it's near the top of the page here, the way I scrolled it. The Malach Hashem. I'm even going to retranslate. It says a messenger of Hashem. I'm even going to say a Malach of Hashem in English, just to help highlight this. Okay? So she runs away to the wilderness. A Malach of Hashem found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring, meaning the well, on the road to Shur. And said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. And the Malach of Hashem said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her harsh treatment. Okay. And the Malach of Hashem said to her, I will greatly increase your offspring and they shall be too many to count. So question one I just want to pose is when the Malach of Hashem says, I'm going to increase your offspring, who is that who is taking responsibility for increasing the offspring? Who is the I? Does that mean an angel is in charge of Hagar's offspring? Who, what is, or who is the Malach Hashem? Then we go on. The Malach of Hashem said to her, further behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son. And you shall call him Ishmael, which, as we know, literally means God hears. Okay, call this boy God hears. For Hashem has paid heed to your suffering. God has heard your suffering. And then the prophecy about what Ishmael is going to become. And she, meaning Hagar, at the end of this experience, called Hashem who spoke to her. You are El-Ro'i. El-Ro'i means God who sees me. So Hagar referred to Hashem who spoke to her. She called Hashem Yudkevavke, the holy, ineffable four-letter name, Tetragrammaton. She referred to God, Hashem, as Ata El-Ro'i. You are God who sees me. And that's why the well is called Be'er Lachai Roi, the well of the living one who sees me. That is literally what Be'er Lachai Roi. And then the summary, and in fact, she had a son, and Avram, it's interesting, Hagar got the prophecy of what to call him. Avram, her husband, gave him the name Yishmael, God hears. So let's just pause and digest the story. Hagar runs away, and she's, you know, going to die in the desert. We know that story. And um, 
And then a malach of Hashem appears to her and says, I'm going to summarize, I will increase your offspring. You should call this offspring God hears, for God has heard your suffering, paid attention to your suffering. And then at the end of this, let us call it um, encounter, Hagar. By the way, notice there's nothing about here in this encounter about the Malach going away or disappearing. Okay. Um, but Hagar calls Hashem who appeared to her, quote, she calls Hashem, you are El who sees me. You are God who sees me. And that is why this well is called the well of the living one who sees me. So long wordy name in English. And in fact, the child was named by Avram Ishmael. So let's just step back from the story and all our assumptions. And Hagar sees apparently a individual or a figure. And then it's the figure who gives her the prophecy saying, I'm going to increase you. And then Hagar, after this encounter, seems to conclude that she has seen God. And she gives God an epithet. You are God who sees me. All right. And the name of the child that's born, that's prophesied, is God hears. So we have God seeing and God hear. Okay. God sees and God hears. So Hagar seems to think she has, at least after the fact, she seems to think she has seen God or take a step back from that. One interpretation is that she thinks she has seen God. Now, of course, what's the traditional interpretation, right? The traditional Jewish interpretation is that the angel, that this is an angel who gives a message from God, right? When the angel says, I have seen your suffering, it doesn't mean the angel is responsible, but rather the angel is giving a message. And Hagar, having seen the angel, realizes that God has seen her. Okay, so that it would be a traditional interpretation, a traditional interpretation based on two assumptions. One is that God couldn't possibly appear to human beings in physical form. So it couldn't possibly be God. And the other is that Malach means angel. But I'm asking you again to strip away those two preconceptions. Okay, but notice, I want you to notice in particular how the text elides or slides so easily without you even noticing it from it's a malach but it's god maybe let's look at another familiar text jacob wrestling with the angel okay in genesis 32 brashi lamed bet jacob wrestles with the angel uh sorry take it back see see i couldn't help it creeps in. So who's Jacob wrestling with? With This is, uh, you know, Jacob's coming back to Canaan, and he's afraid because he's heard that uh, his brother Esau is marching towards him with 400 people. So he crosses the river. He divides his camp people into two camps. He sends gifts to Esau, all that stuff, the beginning of Parshat Vayishlach. He remains alone. Jacob remains alone on the other side of the river, first side of the river. 
Vayeavek ish imo. In Hebrew, a man or a person wrestled with him. And they're wrestling and the person can't beat him. And so the person seems to say, release me. Sorry, uh, the, the person seems to do some illegal uh, wrestling maneuver, which involves hip dislocation or something like that. We don't know. Okay. Surely it would be ruled uh, illegal maneuver penalty in high school wrestling, whatever it is. And he says, let me go. And Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he says, what's your name? Jacob. And he says, Jacob, which is very curious. Doesn't the being know his name? Is it maybe it's a rhetorical? And he says, the being, the ish says, your name will not be Jacob anymore. Rather, it will be Yisrael. Ki sarita im Elohim v'imanashim vatuchal. You have striven, grappled with, that might be a somewhat better English translation, grappled with Elohim and anashim could mean. So, and notice how our translation, what does Elohim usually mean? This is not a rhetorical question. God. It means God. Vayomer Elohim, Yehi Or. And God said, let there be light. Right? Duh. Elohim, 99, 999 times, at least out of a thousand, means God in the Torah. So if we wanted to translate this the way we translate Elohim 999 out of a thousand times, we would say, your name is one who strives with L. Why are you called, am I calling you this? Because you have striven or grappled with God and people and you survived. Vatuchal or prevailed. Who's the people that Jacob strove, grappled with in the context of his life at this moment in time? Where's he coming from? He's going his brother and Lavan. Who else before Lavan? Asav. So it's clear who are the people that he has wrestled with or grappled with. Who is the Elohim? Right? Have we seen Jacob grappling with Elohim? So obviously that would seem to be the Ish, who is not called here a Malach. He's called an Ish. Okay? Um, but we always, tra- uh, uh, our assumption, of course, is Jacob wrestled with the angel. Okay? And Jacob, after this experience, called this place Piniel, which means face of God. Why? Kiraiti Elohim Panim El Panim Vatinatzel Nafshi. Because I saw Elohim face to face, and yet I have lived to tell the tale. And yet I survived. Okay? So, because our JPS translation rests on our two to three thousand years of Bible interpretation. It translates Elohim here as divine being. See my cursor there? Kiraiti Elohim Panim El Panim. It means divine being. The Ish was a divine being who can convey blessing and then presumably appeared and disappears. But what does Jacob seem to think he has seen? Pshat. So one might argue he thinks he just saw God. Um, Kugel, James Kugel in The God of Old, 
refers to this as the moment of confusion. All right. It's a great phrase. The moment of confusion means a person, a figure in the Bible is dealing with an, a human appearing entity. And don't, then only afterwards that individual says some version of OMG. I just saw God. I didn't realize it. Diane, you have a hand up, please. Yeah. So <clears throat> when Jacob saw God, he says, and you've moved your text, but there, um, yet my life has been preserved. And remembering back to Hagar, I think she said, and yet I can still see. So is, is there like an assumption that if, and of course later on with Moshe, is there an assumption that, that if, if you somehow see God, that, that, um, okay, it's going so to good leave you physically changed? Wait, I don't think Hagar said yet I can still see. I think it's God who sees. Yet your question stands, right? Cause Jacob says, whoa, and I lived. Okay. And we will get to Moshe in a moment. But yes, this raises a question. If, if Yaakov could say, I saw God and lived, that seems to imply that under normal conditions, if you saw God, whatever that means, you might die, which will take us to Moses. Okay. Moses at the bush, right? This is where, by the way, this is where, um, Notice that Jacob's story does not elide. The text doesn't elide between the Ish and God. It's Jacob who says, oh, the text says there was an Ish. Let's call it humanoid figure. Okay. Be very broad. A humanoid figure appeared to Jacob and wrestled with him. And afterwards, Jacob says, wow, I just realized I saw God face to face and I lived. In the famous text of Moshe as the burning bush, this is totally elided by the text. So Moshe, Exodus Shemot chapter three, comes to a place called, when he's shepherding the sheep in Midian, comes to a place that, which is called, I'd like to point out, Har HaElohim, the mountain of God, and a Malach Hashem. Again, I'm going to untranslate messenger, and I'm going to say a Malach Hashem appeared to him from the flame. Moshe says, oh, I better go take a look here. This bush is not consumed, even though it's on fire. So Hashem saw that he went to look and Elohim, which we usually translate as God, called to him from the bush. So here's my question. Who appeared to Moses? A Malach Hashem or Elohim? The being says, Anochi Elohei Avicha, I am the God of your ancestors. And Moshe hid his face. Ki Yare Mehabit El Elohim, because he's afraid to look at God, as Diane would point out, because he he read the book of Breshit and he knew what Yaakov said. Oh my God, I saw God and lived. So God's going to appear. I'd better not look. Vayomer Hashem, God said, I saw the suffering of my people, and I have heard them, and so I'm going to come down to take them out of Egypt. Okay? So notice what you may or may not have noticed before. I don't know. How many, show of hands. I, can't, I, I don't think I can see everyone. How many people have noticed this before? Raise your hand. That it was a Malach Hashem who appears, 
but then all of a sudden it's Hashem is speaking. So some of us have noticed this before because we're careful readers, right? So a Malach Hashem appears and Hashem says, I have seen the suffering. And Moshe realizes that it's God and he turns his face to block his face because he is afraid to look at God. I'm, I'm going to skip text four. You can look at it at home. It's about, it's from the book of Judges. Uh, if you don't want to do that, the handout, you just want to jot a note down. It's Judges 13, which is a Malach appearing to Manoach and Mrs. Manoach, giving them a prophecy about the miraculous son who's going to be born to them, who is Shimshon, Samson. And at the end of it, when the Malach goes up in a tongue of flame and disappears, Manoach says, oh, my God, we're going to die because we saw God. And his wife says to him, no, 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 if God wanted to kill us, God would not have accepted, would not have accepted the sacrifice we offered and given us this whole prophecy about the child. Okay. So there's another story about a malach. And then, then the person says, oh, no, we're going to die. And this wife says, no, 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 we're not going to die. If God wanted us to die, God wouldn't have, all of this stuff wouldn't have happened. And then back to Moshe chapter 33, Moshe seems to say some version after the sin of the golden calf, God, I'd like to see you. And God says, here, text five, Exodus 33, near the end of the chapter. Lo tuchali wrote it panai. You can't see my face. Notice God does not say, no one can see my face because I am incorporeal or I have no body. But rather, people can't see my face and live. Apparently, Jacob realized that. That's why he was surprised. Apparently, Moses realized that at the bush. That's why he turned away. But now, for some reason, he's forgotten that, and he's asking to see God's presence. And Hashem says, well, you can't see my face, because no one can see my face and live, which implies that, you know, if you saw my face, it, it implies either there's no permission or you would die, one way or the other, okay? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock when I pass by, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by, and then I will take my hand away so you will see my back. But my face, I just want to point out, this is a choice in translation, the last verse. Ufanai lo ra'u. the last words translated here as my face must not be seen, could also be translated as my face cannot be seen. Could be cannot or must not, which in English are obviously two very different things. Okay. Either you must not see my face or you can't see my face. Okay. Um, so either God is saying a rule. I don't allow anyone to see my face or God is saying, Oh, you, you, you can't. Sorry. The first one, I don't allow anyone to see my face is a must not. Right. Choice two is no, you cannot. Uh, you would die if you did. Okay. Because no human can see my face and live. Okay. Michael, you have a question, question, comment. I have a question. Go ahead, Larry. I'm sure you have a reason for choosing the examples you chose. You didn't choose another example, which is kind of a flip, which is Vayera, which starts off. uh, I'm going to interrupt you. Very good question. Thank you. I'm going to interrupt it. So there are other passages that one could look at of angels appearing and God speaking. One of them, which Larry remembers, is the beginning of Parshat Vayera, when the angels appear to God. It says, and God appeared to him in the heat of the day. 
and three below. He looked up and there were three people there, which actually suggests that God could be three people, right? Um, who are referred to later in the chapters on Ashim or Malachim. There are other passages also. These are not the only ones where there are, there's a Malach and then God speaks. Okay. Um, so we could find other passages. I've, I've brought you some of the most glaring ones. All right. I am going to stop screen sharing and we're totally at stop time, but I'm, so I'm going to take two minutes to wrap up and then you can think about this during the week, next week. Uh, and we'll talk about it more next week. So there is for the moment, I'm going to call it a line of thinking in the Torah, and I know that the book of Judges is not in the Torah, thank you, line of uh-huh. in the Torah, that human beings under certain circumstances may have an encounter with something called by the narrator, Malach Hashem. The Malach never says, I am a Malach, but something called a Malach Hashem, and then the text goes on to say, and God said, I will blah, 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 or I have da, 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 meaning there is a speaker who seems to be God, and sometimes afterwards, or in response to this, there is a recognition on the part of the individual who, who received the manifestation that this is God or was God. We have Jacob saying, oh my God, I saw God and I lived. We have Agar saying, I'm going to call the name of God who appeared to me, God who sees me. We have Moses hiding his face because he recognizes that in the bush, this what the narrator referred to, our our narrator referred to in the third person, Malach Hashem, Moshe thinks, is God. So we have at least in these three cases, okay? By the way, um, Manoach says the same thing in the book of Judges. Now, because we read these texts with many generations of interpretation, our superimposed filter which causes us to skew reading from what might be the biblical pshat or the most simple interpretation in context. Our filter is God has no body. Malachim are angels. Therefore, when they say I saw, they must be quoting God. And that later on, when the person says I saw Elohim, what they mean is I saw a supernatural being, right? Kiraiti Elohim panim el panim. For I saw a divine being face to face and lived. As opposed to what the word Elohim means 999 times out of a thousand, like in Vayomer Elohim, he or. We never translate that as, and a divine being said, let there be light, right? It means God said, let there be light. That's the simplest meaning of the word Elohim. So Bible scholars will seek to look at these passages, put the tube of, put the toothpaste back in the tube 
the, the, the toothpaste is our assumptions based on who we are as Jews and our received reading tradition, right? And say, why are you translating Malach as angel? And why don't you just take what the people's experience is at face value, which is they say, oh, wow, I just saw God. This is what Kugel refers to as the moment of the of confusion. The person at the moment may not realize that the humanoid figure they are speaking to, notice, by the way, they didn't say, oh, you appeared out of nowhere, or I see you have wings, or anything like that, all right? Or what is God's, I see that you are a messenger. Tell me, what is God's message? They don't say anything like that. <laughs> they behave as if they're talking to a person, okay? And if I want to be a little less sacrilegious, I'll say a humanoid figure. But this seems to be to them to be a person who says, I saw your suffering, or I will take my people out of Egypt, or something like that. And afterwards, the person realizes this was God. Moshe, by the way, doesn't realize it afterwards. He realizes it before. That's why he hides his face, because he's afraid to look at God. You could certainly ask why then, and later on in the book of Exodus, and in chapter 33, Moshe says, well, I want to see you. And God has to explain, you can't see my face. But we're not going to talk about that now. That's that's not where we are. Okay? So I'm going to summarize, and because i got to stop. And we could talk about this and your reflections on it next week. We'll start with that. Okay? But I want to suggest that the simplest meaning of these passages, I'm, I'm just beating a dead horse here. Okay? The simplest meaning of these passages without letter, later generations layers interpretation is that sometimes God can appear to people in a way in which they think they're talking to an humanoid, someone who looks like a person. This appearance is referred to as Malach Hashem. So I'm going to suggest that maybe we should translate Malach Hashem in these passages as a representation of God, a manifestation of God in human form. That's what, again, back to Benjamin Summers' book, The Bodies of God. He argues that in these passages, and he, he he's not the first one who thought of this thought. He argues it very well, though, that in these passages, God appears physically to people in a physical manifestation and the the text calls this kind of physical manifestation a malach Hashem, which doesn't mean angel. It's a representation of God. And how do we know that? Because the malach says, "I heard your suffering, and here's what's going. Here's what I'm going to do for you." Okay. And the text says, "And God said, I heard your suffering, and here's what I'm going to do for you." And the person realizes before, during, or afterwards that this is God that they have seen. Either Moses says, I can't look, or Manoach and his wife, Manoach saying, I'm going to die because I saw God, or Jacob saying, I can't believe I saw God and I'm still alive. So for the individual, this was clearly a manifestation of God, not an angel who brought a message from God who's somewhere else, but rather a physical manifestation of God which the text refers to as a malach who says, who speaks as if God is speaking, I have seen you. And the person realizes 
or thinks that that, that they have just had or they are having a conversation with a physical manifestation of God. None of them says, oh, it was invisible. I saw through it or it had wings or anything like that. It's, it's an ish. It's a humanoid figure. Okay. Um, so let's stop there. We're really running over. Sorry, we don't have time for question and comment, but I promise we will start with question, comment, and thoughts about these passages next week. I want to say this is not the whole Torah. The Torah has other ideas about God, and we're going to look about other ideas about God in our next few weeks. Have a good day. Stay healthy. Be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.